Thank you very much. Uh, that's a great song. I would sing that one again, actually. You know, it was a wonderful song. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you could turn to uh, the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, and it's chapter 12, verse, verse 1. Uh, I'm just going to read a few verses in, in chapter 11, just to give it a, a bit of context. Now. So in chapter 11, verse 31, we read that by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith, and then the writer goes on and he lists just these amazing things that, uh, that, uh, that these guys did. Ordinary people doing incredible stuff uh, through God's, God's grace. And then we go on to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Amen? Uh, let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you uh, just sincerely, just for a time of coming together, God, and for fellowship. And God, I want to thank you for your word that encourages us not to forsake meeting together as some have, uh, have done, Lord. And so, God, we really cherish these times, and I want to pray that you'll forgive, forgive us, God, for maybe slipping away and letting it slip and just all that kind of stuff that's happened through COVID. And, but, God, we just want to thank you for fellowship and for just our, the encouragement of the saints. And, God, as we listen to your word, I just pray, God, that it will change our lives. God, we've heard many sermons. We've heard many messages. Forgot most of them, God. But God, I just pray that your word today will change our lives and shape our lives for your glory. God, do something different in our lives today. We need you, and we want you, and we ask that you would come and uh, make us more like Jesus, God. God, grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Make us more patient. Make us more patient with ourselves and with others, God. Help us grow in love and, and all the fruits of the Spirit, God. Make us more like you for your glory. Amen. Uh, I, I want to share with you uh, just a, a heart message, really. A, a heart message. Uh, last year, I came back from uh, Laos in February. Uh, February, and uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I was, I'm 51, and uh, I had a heart attack. It devastated me. I thought life was going along great, and then I had this heart attack, and I thought, man, I wasn't expecting that, and, and it totally devastated me. And then COVID came, and man, it's, life's just changed it for everyone, isn't it? It's just, it has, whether we've had COVID or not, it's just society has cho so changed and in this kind of changing kind of world that we're at, and whether it's a personal or a society change that we're going through, you know, we're reminded that we are still part of this race. You know, for me, when I had a heart attack, I, I thought that was it, you know. That, that, was, that was my life. That was it gone, you know. Or, 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 or a life of service was gone, if, 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 I even, 
at that. And I, and I, and I was reminded of this, Hebrews, about uh, the need to keep on pushing on, to keep on pushing on with this race. You know, uh, for me, my race started when I was 18 years old. I was born in a small fishing village, a bit like Mousel, uh, up in Scotland. Uh, 800 people lived on the side of a cliff. Uh, when we went to school, they used to call us, our nickname for, for everyone from our village, we were called the seagulls or the pules, because we, <laughs> we lived on the side of this cliffs. And so we were the seagulls. And uh, at 18 years old, uh, there was like a massive move of uh, God in that village. And uh, about maybe almost 30, I guess 30 of my friends, young, young people, became Christians. Now, some slipped away, some, uh, I slipped away, and then some came back to the Lord, some just never faltered, some slipped away and never came back. But I remember uh, as a new Christian, uh, it was a church like this, and every Sunday afternoon, we used to come in and do a Bible study. And so you had all the, the old, uh, older people or more mature people and the young Christians. And we used to sit in a big circle and we used to study the Bible. And uh, I'll never forget it because Hebrews was the first book that we studied. And I loved it. I remember going away in efficient trawlers with this uh, commentary. Uh, I think it was uh, Hick, okay, William... Henderson or Hickson or something. But I remember getting away with this commentary and reading it in my bunk bed when I was on the fishing trawlers. And I really fell in love with this book of Hebrews. Now, now that is what this uh, writer is speaking about here. He's speaking about uh, being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, people who, uh, and he mentions a lot of them, uh, just ordinary people who did wonderful things, but they were all, the picture is, is that there's this big race and all these people are round about you and you're on the starting line and you're going to be running and all these people are round about you come and say, come on, you can do it. That's, so that's the kind of picture that he's doing. And uh, uh, the heart behind this letter of Hebrews is, is uh, it was written around A.D. Uh, 60 AD to Christians, many of whom uh, used to be uh, Jewish or follow a, 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 the Jewish way of life and had left that and had left the society quite often, you know, especially in Laos, uh, when you choose to be a Christian, uh, quite often you're kind of cut off from society. And so for these Christians, it was a massive, it wasn't just a, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus, and everything continues. It was a massive change of life. And so they were going through a lot of persecution. They were going through a lot of uh, uh, really struggling in their faith. And so to help these struggling believers, the, the Holy Spirit, oh, God is so good. <laughs> the Holy Spirit moves in someone's life, and we're not really sure who wrote the, the book of Hebrews, but it moves in someone's life uh, to write the book of Hebrews with a simple purpose, just to encourage Christians not to give up. Because Jesus, who they're following now, is much better than anything that they had found or experienced or knew in Judaism. And he, he does this very systematically. He starts off in chapter 1 where he says, Look, hey, Jesus is much, much better than angels. And then he goes on to chapter 3 and he says, And Jesus is much greater than, than Moses. And then he goes on to chapter 4 and he says, and says Jesus, uh, the priesthood of Jesus, 
is, is much better than Aaron's priesthood because Jesus is the great high priest. He's the great high priest, and, and I love all he explains it, and it just gives you a, a when, you know, when you read Hebrews, and then you go back into reading the Old Testament, it just makes so much more sense. And then he goes on to chapter 9 and 10, and he says, you know, and most of all, the sin offering that Jesus paid by dying on the cross is a much more costly and much more precious sacrifice than anything in the Old Testament. He, he, sums it, he says this, I love this verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 9. It says, how much more is the blood of God's only Son better than the blood of bulls and goats? Isn't it wonderful? It says, because Jesus only had to offer it one time, one time, for all sin. It wasn't a reincurring kind of thing. And so, by the time we get to our reading in chapter 11, the author has, has finished most of what he wants to say to the, these new Christians about not turning back. And now he, he switches it. Very, very wonderful. He switches it to and said, look, don't, I don't want you just not to turn back. I want you to push on. And so for our Christian lives, you know, sometimes we think, man, if I could just hold on. If I could just, if I could just hold on and just tread water. God wants much more than that for our lives. In fact, if you hold on, you know, uh, we, for Christmas, last Christmas, uh, we bought this uh, inflatable canoes. You know, we like Bear grills, and we had this picture that we we're going to be like Bear grills. And so we bought this inflatable canoes, and off we went to the Fall River, and uh, we are paddling like this, you know, you know like Hawaii Five-O kind of thing. And, you know, and then you got tired, and you stopped. But you never stopped. You drifted back down the river. And that is the Christian life. You know, the, the, the moment that we stop pushing, the, the moment that we stop saying, I'm going to run this race, we will drift back. I, I, you know, I thought I was a, quite a strong Christian. I have been absolutely amazed. And, and actually, it was, a, it was a shock how easily it was to stop going to church. I was amazed over COVID. You know, we used to watch it online and it was wonderful. And then if we didn't like the preacher that week, well, we'll, we'll go somewhere else, you know. So all this kind of flicking, you know. I know it doesn't happen here. But, 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 but I was amazed. And then you think, oh, well, I won't watch it on Sunday morning. I'll watch it. It's a beautiful day. I'll watch it at night. Oh, but then there's a good TV program. I'll watch it on Monday. And then before you knew it, man, well, I wasn't doing anything. And I was amazed how fast I slipped away. And then when I came back to church, if I, hand on heart, when I came back to church and we were allowed to meet together, I didn't really like it. You know, everyone masks on, everyone like three meters away. And, oh, you know, that's all you go, oh. I thought, what's the point? But now, you know, I've got back into the habit and the church is more like this again. And man, I love it. Fellowship, encouragement, Meeting the saints, realizing that it's not about me, it's about other people. I love it. And so, so, uh, so that's, that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is. He's saying, don't just turn, just, I'm not content with you not going back. I want you to push on. And so to help uh, these, uh, these new Christians, he lists in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, he lists quite a lot of people, but there's three people who really stood out for me. And it's Rahab, uh, Samson, 
and David. Love David. Uh, and these were ordinary guys uh, who had many obstacles and hurdles in front of them as they run their own race, their personal race. And, uh, but I must admit, as I've been thinking about them over this uh, last, well, probably six, seven months, I just like to think about stuff like that. And uh, it, it's just some really good lessons. And the first one is this. You know, we have got to, uh, we've got to change our mindset and, and, and stop thinking of it as hurdles that's going to stop us, but opportunities that can build us up. Now, I, I read lots of books, and I remember there was a while I was going through John Maxwell books, and he's got all these kind of little marks, and you go, you, and I thought, oh, it makes sense, but, but this is not like a, a guru kind of thing. You know, we've got to stop looking at uh, things that, uh, hurdles as things that will stop us, and start looking at this as opportunities that will build us up and make us into who the person that God wants us to be. And, he, and, I, and you would get this from this story about uh, Rahab. This young Jewish girl uh, who is known as, I mean, she got a terrible, you know, when I was on a, on a fishing boat, uh, every fishing boat had a name. So you had the courageous, or you had the resolute, or you had the, uh, the saltire, right? Uh, different names. And if you were a captain of the, that fishing boat, you, that became your name. So my fishing boat was called the saltire. I spent all my life being called Andrew the saltire. That's what it is. I actually remember when we first got that boat, and normally it was your dad that, that, uh, that named the boat. And so I was like, oh, what's he going to call it? Is it going to be courageous or the triumph or uh, the resolute or the, the something, something really kind of manly, you know? And he says, right, I have got a perfect name for this boat. And I, honestly, I was shaking at the knees. He says, I want to call it the village maid. I thought, what? I'm going to spend all my life as Andrew the village maid. And, and so I had a little sweet talk with him, and we got up one kind of crushed. But, uh, but uh, so, so Rahab, she went through her whole life and called Rahab the, the prostitute. What a handle, eh? Rahab the prostitute. But she, I love how she's included in David in this. You know, if you go on to Matthew and that, how she's included uh, in the line uh, along with David. And the story is, is that God's people, the Israelites, they are returning out of the desert, heading towards the, heading towards the promised land. And in their way is this uh, city called Jericho. Hey, man, isn't it a bummer? There's always things in our way, isn't there? Isn't there? Things that we want to do, there's always something there that's in our way. So they had this, the oldest city in the world, uh, inhabited city in the world, Jericho is in their way. And so Joshua, he's the, the leader now, and he sends out two spies to kind of check it out. And uh, they sneak into the city and they end up in Rahab's house. I guess it was a place where there was lots of coming and going. It might have been a pub or an inn or something like that. But they, they end up in, in Rahab's uh, house. Now, nothing happens in Jericho uh, without the king hearing about it. And so he hears, hey, there's two spies in, in the Rahab's house. And so he sends the, the soldiers around, big burly guys, going, kind of knock, knock on Rahab's door. Sorry, I've kind of ruined your thing. But they knock on the door and they say, look, send out the spies. The king wants them. Send out the spies. Now, Rahab, she's a man, she's streetwise. She, she thinks fast on her feet. And she, right away, she says, 
Oh, no, no. They were here. They've left. You've just missed them. They went that away. If you go fast, you might catch them. And so the soldiers, obviously not too much between their ears, but they, they kind of they rush over, rush after their spies. But Rahab had hidden the spies up on the roof under the grass. And she goes up once the, once the coast is clear, and she says to the, and, you know, I guess she could have asked for money. She could have asked for a passport. She could have asked for anything, I guess. But she, she asked for a promise. That's all she asked God for, a promise. She says this, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, I know the Lord has given you this land. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. That's all she had was a promise. All she had was a promise. So Jericho gets destroyed by the Israelites. And the spies keep their promise. Good guys. And Rahab becomes, joins the Israelites. And you think, that's a fantastic story. But it doesn't stop there. Because we read in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5 that Rahab marries this guy called Salmon. Is it Salmon? Could have been a fishmonger. I don't know. But a guy called Salmon. They have a son called Boaz. Boaz has a, um, has a, a son called uh, Obed uh, by Ruth, who's another immigrant. Praise God for immigration. And, uh, and they have a, another son called Jesse, and Jesse is the father of King David. And so Rahab, this prostitute, because she took the gamble, because she didn't think, man, this is a, this is a terrible thing that's going to, this is a hurdle, she started looking at it as an opportunity. Because she grabbed it and because she thought, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be stopped, I'm going to keep on running that race. Because of that, praise God, Rahab is in, is, becomes like the great, great, great grandmother of King David. Isn't that an incredible story? Now, the, the, the thing that we can learn for that is, is that, you know, when God places things in our lives, we can look at it as terrible. You know, I was quite right. I was speaking to Stuart this morning and just saying how, man, honestly, the heart attack and COVID, I thought it was it. Or we could look at it as a God-given opportunity. Something that will build us, something that will stretch us, something that will get us outside of our box. I remember, you know, some people asked me uh, how we ended up in Laos. You know, honestly, I was not involved in ministry. I, 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 I wasn't wired that way. But I remember going on a short-term mission to the Philippines. And uh, it was a medical mission. And uh, we went up to the top of this hospital in Manila. And I looked over, and I have never seen squalor and mess like that in my life. Such poverty. And I was brought up in a village where men didn't cry. You know, and I remember crying my heart out. And I remember closing my eyes and saying, Lord, never let me forget this. And they never did. And there's a verse came to my mind, Psalm 90, teach me to number your days and use them wisely. And I realized, man, this is not a bad thing. This is an opportunity to become who God wants me to be. And then that started off a whole chain reaction, uh, uh, selling their fishing boats and training for the ministry. Hey, I left school at 15. I didn't even know how to use a computer. I'd never written an essay in my life, you know. And uh, so but it was a big learning curve. But it, it opened so much doors for us. 
And so I just want to encourage you, you know, through all the bad things that's happening in your life just now, through all the uncertainty, when things, God places something in front of you, don't look at it as a hurdle that will stop you. You look at it as an opportunity to become who God wants you to be. Amen? And then, then he also mentions in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11, he mentions Samson. And uh, a great lesson about the, this hurdle of past mistakes. And so we see, you know, Samson is such a, a well-known uh, figure in, in Christian spheres and outside of Christian spheres. And the story is found in Judges chapter 16 of this boy who had, uh, had a long kind of, he was like one of the gladiator kind of guys, one of the long kind of hair. Uh, I looked like that before my wife kind of took the clippers a couple of nights ago. And uh, so, um, so he had long hair and his gift, it was superman strength. And he was gifted with superman strength for the purpose of protecting Israel from attacks. And it's very interesting that he was just, he had so much great battles and defeated, defeated so much things, only for him to be defeated by a cart or flow in his own life. <laughs> Isn't that the way of it? And we read that in, the, in chapter 16, verse uh, 20, where we read about how his strength was in his hair and how he was involved with this, this girl called Delilah and she got out the secret of his strength and cut off his hair at night. And we read about how he woke uh, from a sleep when, when the people came to attack him and he thought he had this superman strength still. And we read this. It says, Samson awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out before and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Man, that frightens the socks off of me every time I read that. You know, I thought, man, imagine a man of God, imagine someone who's serving the Lord and he didn't know that God had left him. Just creeping, just things creeping into your life and you, you think, yeah, I'm still doing this. And man, you've just lost it. And so the, the, the enemy sees him and the the pretty bad kind of stuff, but they take out his eyes and they take him down to Gaza. I'm not sure if that's the same Gaza as you see on TV now, but they take him down to Gaza and they bind him with, with bronze shackles. And I guess for many of us, if we had slipped like that or if we do slip like that, that's the end of the story, isn't it? Constantly being hounded with little guilts and little, you know, you're a loser and yeah, yeah, you'll always be like this and you know, you've messed up again or yeah, yeah. And every time you want to try something new and every time you think, oh, I'm going to do something, you get a little whisper from uh, the enemy in your ear thinking, yeah, it's, you're always going to be like that. But I love what Samson, I, I really admire this guy. Uh, he prays, so he's standing there between these two pillars, and he prays this, and I love it. Honestly, I, I love it. If you can remember one thing, it's this. He says this prayer, Lord, no, sovereign Lord, remember me. God, give me strength one more time. God, remember me Give me strength one more time. And the story is told that it pushes out the pillars and it says they killed more people in his death than he did in his life. So he finishes off really well and he's included in this, uh, this heroes of the faith. And, uh, and, and I love that little prayer. I remember um, uh, I like most of the top gear I like. 
And there's that, the, the littlest guy, Richard Harmon, and he's in his car and he gets stuck in the mud or something like that. And uh, he looks at the camera and he says, he's, he's in big trouble. I think he's sinking down. He says, in times like these, I say one thing. What would Bear Grylls do? <laughs> and I thought it was so funny, you know, because when, when he said that, I thought, man, when we fall, when we slip up, when, we make a, when we're making a mistake, what we need to say is, what would Samson do? And Samson did this thing. Lord, give me strength one more time. And that's, that's what we can learn from, from Samson. You know, just, to, just let go of the weight of past mistakes. Don't let mistakes uh, hold you back. Don't, don't let them, as we run this race, just don't let mistakes. You get up, you start writing, right, uh, running again, you start fighting again, you think, God, just give me one more day just to serve you. Amen? And then we go on to uh, the last one, the, the hurdle. And, and for me, you know, this has been a personal struggle all my life. The hurdle to be your own person. I, I have struggled with this all of my life. And it's this story of, uh, uh, of David. I uh, love this little story of David, of when he defeats Goliath. And it's, you know, it's well known. But for me, the turning point of this whole story, the thing that sticks out for me, is in Samuel, 1 Samuel verse 17, where uh, the king Saul hears of uh, that David is going to fight Goliath. And so he takes him into his tent and he dresses him all up with the armor and he, he looks like uh, Iron Man in Marvel movies. He's got all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he says, yeah, I can't even walk. <laughs> I can't even walk. I'm so heavy, I can't even walk. And he says, I can't go like this. That's not who I am. That's you. It's your armor. This is not me. And so he takes it, he takes it off. And, and I, I love that because, you know, that has the, been the biggest challenge in my life. I look at so much wonderful, wonderful people, and I just think, man, I wish I was like them. I wish I was more eloquent. I wish I could speak English. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could, I wish I was just, I wish I had more hair. <laughs> I wish I had a different heart. <laughs> but God has made me who I am. God has made you who you are, whether your wife likes it or not. <laughs> so you know and, and I think that is the biggest challenge God has made us unique God has made us special God has made it in his image a different facet of his image and it's for a purpose you know, you know I've shared this story here before but it, it, I never forget it because I need, to, I need to remind myself of it that when I first went to Laos I saw all these Americans with tan skin like beach boy guys, you know, and I'm like a pasty Scottish guy, and I think, man, I wish I was like them, and they're teaching English, and I thought, oh, I, well, I actually said to my wife, oh, I'm going to be an English teacher, <laughs> and she fell on the floor, she couldn't get off, she was laughing, she actually <laughs> cried, she said, don't be stupid, you can't even speak English, <laughs> and I thought, well, what am I going to do, but I mean, for me, I love business. I love small business. And so we started a fish hatchery. We called it the Fish Aid Project. 
couldn't think of a better name. <laughs> but we called it the Fish Aid Project, and that, that was 12 years ago, and we just did our report. We'll send you the report in another uh, few weeks. But this year, uh, 2.8 million tilapia were produced. Isn't that incredible? 300,000 carp. And I think it's like over 100,000 frogs. <laughs> And it's helping hundreds and hundreds of families uh, to be self-sustaining in their villages. And it gets us out into the villages, and it helps the poor to help themselves. And I love it. And if I had been an English teacher, none of that would have happened. And so, I just three very, very simple things. Hey, I've shared my heart, guys, and it's, it's actually a life message. I, have to, I constantly have to remind myself of these things. As we run this race that God has placed us in. Don't look at hurdles as things that will stop you. Try and look at it. I know it's hard. Try and look at it as things, opportunities to be who God wants me to be. Don't, uh, when we face this hurdle of past mistakes, don't let it stop you. You know, when you trip over that hurdle, don't let it stop you. You get up. You pray that prayer of what Samson's, uh, you know, God, just give me strength one more time. And then the last one, you know, hey, don't, don't float over to different lanes all the time. You run your own race. You know, my past, the pastor who led me to the Lord, I'll never forget, a, a great man of God, you know, used to be a, a missionary in Afghanistan for 18 years before the Taliban came. A wonderful, humble guy. A, stubborn's a mule. <laughs> and people used to say to him, oh, you're just stuck you're, you're just stuck in a rut. You're just stuck in the rut. You'll never change. He says, no, I'm not stuck in a rut. I'm in my groove. There is a difference between a rut and a groove. And God's got a groove for you eh? and for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stuart.